with us today, we have two people from Bishop Thomas Grant School in Lambeth, Laura Waterman, who's the Assistant Head Teacher, and Michael Todd, who is Deputy Head. Uh, we also have with us Alan Passingham, who is one of Ofsted's Senior Research Leads. So if we could start with Alan, could you tell us a bit about overall what you found out about the quality of tutoring? Well, the starting point should be to define the quality of tutoring though, you know, so for the, the purpose of the work that we did, we, we needed an appropriate lens with which to kind of look at what school leaders and staff and tutors were actually doing to make sure what what, what is quality in that sense sort of thing. So our starting point was to go back to the literature and have a look at what that was saying, you know, and, and from there, we got a sense of, and, and this is in the DfE guidance as well, that there's a need for it to be bespoke. Small group size yeah. is yeah. more effective. Uh, it needs to be frequent, consistent, uh, delivered by somebody with expertise, uh, something to, to lean on you. Because what, one of the things we were going to struggle with was what well, one thing that is difficult to determine is uh, identifying the direct impact of tutoring on pupils' outcomes. You know, there's there's just far too much noise in schools. They will be doing lots of other interventions. There'll be routine plus teaching, you know, that'll be having an effect. There will be things happening outside of school that will probably be impacting on. So it's just far too much noise to identify whether a single intervention is having the kind of improvement desired. So so by going back to the research, it gives us a lens to determine and give us some degree of assurance that, you know, the schools we were looking at, whether they were whether they were aligned to what good quality tutoring or more effective, there's a direct line of causation, essentially. With that in mind and having got our criteria together, what did we find? It was a variable picture, but one with some generally positive aspects, you know, so uh, many of the schools were following the guidance for tutors, so it was bespoke, it was small scale one to one, or at least one to three, one to four pupils per session. It was being delivered frequently. Uh, it was being delivered by uh, the same tutor on a, a regular basis. It was fairly quick and punchy. Pupils were not on it for a very long duration. You know, there was good thinking around when to take pupils off that other pupils would then get the opportunity to experience tutoring. You know, it, it wasn't all positive. There were a minority of schools that where it was a bit more haphazard and they weren't giving it the same level of consideration, which so you did get some schools that were delivering it to a, a much larger group of pupils in a session, so 10 to 15 pupils, which isn't bespoke. You lose that, the element of tutoring that I think is most important, you know, there's bespokeness for individual pupils, but also for tutors, you know, they can see where uh, a, a pupil may not be getting something right almost immediately and then can react to that and say, oh, okay, I can see where you're going wrong here and do the level of scaffolding required to to, to get the, the that pupil back on track sort of thing, you know, so there's, there's immediacy to it. When you've got a class of 10, 15 pupils, it's much, much more difficult to do that, you know, so and so there was there was a bit more some schools that just weren't, it wasn't just quite clicking, but I don't think that was a result of them not necessarily misunderstanding what tutoring is. The, the sense I got from a lot of school leaders is they wanted to make a difference for their pupils. And so their their rationale was we need more pupils to to be accessing tutoring. So without realizing that in some ways that dilutes the impact because it, it is very specific to individual needs, small group kind of practice, you know. So so there was a desire to make a difference there, you know, which is which is credible, but wasn't quite working with this particular intervention. 
else did we find that those schools that were, were stronger in this space had strong processes of pupil identification so they were identifying pupils that had the biggest gaps in their learning post-pandemic you know and getting those on so they weren't necessarily just identifying a, a, a disadvantaged cohort they were actually doing it a bit more rigorously than that to, to really identify other uh, pupils that you know had really suffered uh, during the pandemic and needed that additional support um, the curriculum planning was strong, so there was good alignment between what was being delivered in in classes um, to uh, what was also being delivered in tutoring. So there was alignment there. So when a, a pupil had completed their their tutoring uh, sessions, they could then go back into the classroom and was was studying the same kind of areas. You know, it wasn't uh, they they weren't going off and doing something completely different. You know, uh, teachers and their pedagogy you know all tutors right in their pedagogy was really important it was really considering who should be the tutors and making sure that they were getting the right people involved and making real strong decisions on that which kind of leads to the last point i think i'll make here which is a lot of leaders preferring the do it bit yourself kind of model rather than going through the national tutoring program which which did have some barriers you know particularly around the, the workload burden of managing that and getting a specific tutor or academic mentor in post and then not always delivering on that i.e that the actual tutor actually arriving as expected didn't always happen and then sometimes the quality of the tutors that they found via the national tutoring program were, were not good enough and um, so the decisions that a lot of leaders make was we can do this ourselves we can find tutors to do this typically it, it was also teachers within the school but some schools were also looking further afield, you know, uh, such as good examples of retired teachers, you know, coming back and doing a couple of hours work a week. They've got the expertise, they've got the experience looking at, at good staff that would normally be there to provide support and cover and bring in those individuals in again with qualified teachers, but not necessarily full time teachers at that point. So schools were thinking about this in various ways of how they could deliver. Of course, uh, the, the National Tutoring Programme uh, features free routes, um, uh, tutoring partners, academic mentors and a school led route um, uh, where uh, national tutoring program um, and, and where schools have, you know, rebuffed elements of the, the national tutoring program is largely been along the lines of the, the tutoring partners and academic mentors. There is a, a very much a preference for the school led route managing the, um, the provision of tutors for themselves. So moving on to Laura and Michael, a really simple question, which is like, how did it work in your school? There were certainly negatives to the whole process, things that we find quite difficult to be able to work with, and work around, and to make it work in our school. Um, but there were plenty of positives. And interestingly, all the obstacles that we came through, we think helped us form a really good package that we're offering at the moment. So something positive came out of it. But so when schools were closed back in 2020, we um, were actually approached by Talented, one of the um, providers, and they were working with um, lab schools to find <clears throat> uh, schools that would work with uh, pupil premium students whilst they were uh, away from school, and that was funding was provided. So we did that. Um, it was really quite difficult to do because students were already learning remotely and to set this up and to get good attendance was really difficult. So a nice idea, but difficult to uh, execute. And then in November 2020, when the National 
uh, tutoring program was launched. Um, we did trial uh, under the sort of constraints as they were at that time, that it was um, tuition partners that were then leading on this. So we did uh, trial a few groups of students with tutors who were working with us remotely. We had problems with that. It was difficult. And I think, you know, lots of these things were common to, to all schools who had a go to make it work. Because as Alan said, the need was there, the desire, the motivation. It just became quite a complicated process to make it work. And we linked up with Connects Education. Um, and we had some students in small groups connecting with staff that we never met. So there were all sorts of, sort of safeguarding and quality assurance uh, issues with that. Um, students, if they've never met someone, they're not going to be as forthcoming with sharing their issues. I mean, it could work the other way, of course, as well, that someone that they don't know, they might feel if they connect with them, that they could maybe be a bit more forthcoming and sharing uh, where, where they're finding things difficult. So we had limited success to that. Interestingly, at that point, we trialed our own, what became school-led tutoring. We had some of our own staff who were able to start working with students in small groups. And we could see, well, I don't think it's a big reach to understand the concept that if you know who your tutor is and they're working with you in the classroom that you usually work in, then there's already a connection and the expectations of how school works are, are going to be really clear from the beginning. So we had a lot of success with that. When we, the tutoring program changed so we could use your own staff, everything seemed to fall into place because we had we needed good quality assurance. There was some training offered. We made good use of that um, with staff. And as Alan said there about just this difference, one of the first questions when we spoke to Alan before was, how are we defining tuition? How is it different than a, uh, a lesson? And Laura and I actually last night um, met with parents to launch a year 10 summer tuition program again this year using the national tutoring program funding and that program and structure. And we went through um, we went through the same thing with them. This idea that you've got staff who are free, who are willing, who are motivated, who've been through the training, who understand the difference between tuition and uh, teaching. We know the parents, know the expectations, parents are on board, and that changed into a model, therefore, we did last summer, which we had huge success with. We've since done something different since September with other year groups. Um, and Laura, you probably want to hear, because certainly we've worked long and hard. You, you talked there, Alan, again, about the investment from schools uh, in order to make it work. But that's so much more motivating and so much more palatable when you know you're doing this work. We've talked as a school a lot about the buy-in um, from both the students, the parents, the staff. It's It's got to be seen as a sort of valuable um, time and and sort of energy for all, all involved, really. So that's why, as Michael alluded to, you know, we've met with parents. We get that buy-in from them. Um, we've also trialled uh, last summer, which we'll be replicating with this forthcoming year 10 tutoring session which will last for five weeks starting from from this monday um in terms of selecting the students it's yeah it's it's sort of it's difficult to know the right process we've tried different things i know last summer when we were working with the year 10s then our current year 11s and it was the first time that we were trialing different things 
And one thing I'd say to sort of schools is, is there isn't one right model and don't be afraid to sort of change. If it's not working, we've tried different things and we've realised quite quickly that that hasn't worked, that hasn't been the best way. But we wanted to get the scheme up and running quickly last year. So we based the selection of students on tracking data that at that point wasn't the the most up to date. We had new tracking data that was going to be out about two weeks or three weeks later. And we had a discussion whether to to wait, but we wanted to get the, the tutoring program up and running. So we based it on spring data, only to find that two or three weeks later, new data had come out and different students were then highlighted as being more in need. And uh, the sort of timetables and the the cards that we give to our students with their timetabled lessons on or tutoring sessions on all had to be reprinted and changed. But I mean, I suppose the basic rationale is, is the obvious one. We look at their performance on their on their tracking on assessments against their you know target grades their end of year 10 target grades and that that does form a big basis of it and obviously we look at students that are furthest away from their target grades but i know alan mentioned as well uh we, you know, we do have to factor in although it's not the the only thing but we do factor in what we call our students that have got sort of barriers to learning i know it was mentioned sort of eal scnd pupil premium um, as a school every child has uh, a profile and they are given a score they get sort of certain points for different barriers to learning potential barriers to learning so we do sort of try and make sure that our tutoring program also considers our sort of perhaps most vulnerable or the students that, that have these potential barriers to learning and that that can also you know cover things such as sort of home factors um, our school data on ethnicity and performance and as I mentioned before sort of pupil premium and those kind of things so I mean that that sort of forms the premise but alongside that I think it's really important to have conversations with the the staff delivering and the heads of department what I found with selecting the students for this summer program that's about to start those conversations were really important because there were some students who, if we just purely based on tracking, uh, would have been selected. But upon having conversation with heads of department, they were saying useful things around what that data was based on. And and if it was based on an exam that was just a particularly bad exam, I know, for example, one teacher mentioned, look, there was one question that a few students just totally misread. And therefore, their tracking is kind of highlighting them as sort of below target. Actually, you know, we're not concerned about them. And there are others who we would be more concerned on. And my advice, I think, to sort of schools would be to definitely have those conversations. The teaching staff and the tutoring um, staff, the heads of department are obviously the specialists that know um, which students will be best and who will get the most out of the sessions as well. That's brilliant. So it's been really, it's really interesting to hear, hear the journey that your school has been on with this. I had a couple of questions. So one was about kind of how you handle the student communication, I guess, in, in particular when you had to change who was getting the tutoring based on the new data. How did you kind of go about communicating that to students? And also, I guess, more generally, how did you make sure that students were kind of engaged and up for it and didn't see it as a sort of this is a punishment, this is extra school? I think it's important that it is this sort of dynamic programme and actually sort of students, it's almost seen as a slight sort of sense of achievement 
if they were involved in the tutoring program and then three weeks down the line you know we can have a conversation with them and say look your data showing that you've improved you don't need to attend these sessions sort of anymore and it's about keeping the conversation as a, as a positive I know Michael you'll agree you know we've sort of said we had and we have students literally as we speak for the program starting on Monday coming up to me today saying can I come to the English can I come to the maths tutoring session um, we've really sort of found it positive as a school where students do actually really want to get onto the programme. And I think that's because of how we, 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 we present it to them and their parents, that this is a sort of really great opportunity to fill those kind of gaps and misconceptions they have you know, now in year 10. And, and Michael sort of alluded to, we do something else with year seven to nine as well. But I think it's the way that we send that message to them. And it is a rolling program, you know, once you, if you're on it at the beginning, it's not that you're on it forever, it, it's on a need by need basis. And uh, there's a, re you know, a reward or a sense of achievement if after two or three weeks, they're told that they, they no longer need to attend. I think, and this maybe surprised us as well somewhat, that because, and this came from the training uh, that the National Food Programme were offering, this idea of assessing often and giving feedback often throughout the tuition session. It was very low stakes and students felt that they were being listened to and that they had been given good time. So they felt very positive from the very first 10 minutes of those tuition sessions when they started and that carried through. We don't, I mean, Alan, you said about, you know, measuring the impact. It's very difficult to measure the impact in terms of, um, data that might be generated from summative assessments, but there was clear qualitative feedback that we got immediately. And that was that the students really liked it. They liked the attention, they liked the positive messages that went home. It's timed in the year in the school academic calendar that it's coming straight after a big data collection where these students are transitioning to become year 11s. And so they're going through their data with teachers, they're going through the data with parents, they're trying to formulate new habits, they're making promises to themselves and making commitments. And this is a really straightforward, easy and immediate step that they can do and commit to, and we'll hold them to that commitment, you know, their sort of ability to, to be in control and to be, have some self-efficacy to come, you know, for, for, for the, these promises to come to realisation. And um, they find that to be really, to be really positive. I also think that the breakfast or the snack that we offer also helps to motivate some of the students to attend. Laura, so we shouldn't leave that out. You know, when, when we when we sell it to them, we do give it a really hard sell, don't we, Laura? Mm, yeah. We really lay it on thickly about the opportunity that they have, and that's deeply rooted in the fact that staff really care about their progress. I can see where they're struggling. And once you're in a bigger class, as Alan said, and there's another 25 students to 30 students with you, everybody knows how difficult that might be, how many barriers there are to a student opening up as to why they're finding something difficult. And for them to come back at the end of the day, although they do do that, and they come back at lunchtimes, that this is their opportunity and they jump forward with me. So they we're hoping for the same thing this summer. And, and I think it's worth also just in terms of I was just looking in terms of staff. And I think this is also evidence that, you know, sort of staff have also enjoyed running these sessions. So last year, 
there was 27 staff, I believe, that, that had sort of put themselves forward to run a, a tutoring session. And this year we've got 29 staff that are going to be involved from Monday. Uh, you know, they're going to do it again. So, uh, you know, I think that's testimony as well that it, the staff actually really enjoyed the sessions too. They got a lot from it in terms of being able to work with smaller groups. And I know sort of when I went round and, and was sort of just popping my head into the, the tutoring sessions, it was a really nice atmosphere in the room. Um, a lot of the time the staff had sort of just uh, ch slightly changed the layout of the classroom. So there was just sort of a, a couple of tables with the chairs all round, sort of boardroom kind of style. Uh, Michael mentioned the snacks. So they were there chomping away on a croissant or a, a pan au chocolat and, and having a, a a nice kind of conversation with the member of staff and you know we choose the members of staff really carefully although they do also put themselves forward and you know our members of staff are the the best placed people to run these sessions uh, they know the exam boards that we that we operate with um, they already have relationships albeit sometimes they might not teach the students in their tutoring sessions they're aware of the students around the playground, around the school, um, and those relationships are already there. But it, it was a really nice atmosphere when I when I went round to the sort of tutoring sessions to deliver the, the snacks and just see what was going on. Snacks sound like a really sound strategy yeah. for uh, student engagement. Can, um, can I add a couple of things, Serena? Would that be OK? Go for it, Alan. So I think, I think the first one's uh, what Michael said about pupil confidence and and that is something that that came out through a number of schools that we went to where, where it had that that bespoke nature to it there was that sense of oh this is me and they you know there was that confidence because uh, the, what we were getting from pupils were they found it tricky in classes yeah their routine classes to put their hand up in the air they didn't have the confidence to do that because they were afraid of getting the answer wrong you know where whereas in a small group session such as this there's a bit more security there you know and and so they were starting to find their voices and they were asking the questions that they might not necessarily do so in in those larger class settings and the benefit of that was eventually when they went back into their class settings they were starting to put their hand up and they were starting to contribute there as well you know and so i think there is a richness to some of the qualitative kind of responses we were getting from pupils about how how they perceived that the impact and that generally it was it was positive for them and for their learning for their confidence for their resilience you know and these are all valuable things so the the, the tutors the teachers that were delivering were saying exactly the same things that they had seen growth in their pupils you know there were a couple of exam examples that i can recall and some of the visits that i went to of uh, we weren't sure about this pupil we weren't we weren't sure if this was for them, but actually it was perfect. You know, the environment was, we've seen them grown in a way that we wouldn't have seen beforehand. In some cases, it it, it has been a case of in class, they're a bit more of a troublemaker. Um, and that may be because they've got a bit of an audience that they can put a show on to, but in the tutoring session, uh, they pivot. And that's that's the environment where, you know, actually it's really accessible for them and they, they benefit from that. The other point I want to make is something that, Laura mentioned about the the process of adapting, uh, and I think it was in in the case of uh, your assessment, you know, your identification of of pupils for this. But I think that, that the adaptation is is a principle that is probably applied more generally across all aspects of uh, school leaders coming to terms with what is tutoring and how do we deliver this in our context. So again, if we go back to the research, it's kind of it's it's small scale or much smaller scale 
research sort of thing that's been completed on to say these are the things or these are the areas where it is likely to have impact or to, to be beneficial to peoples. Current policy is being done at scale. I don't think that's ever been achieved before. So, so I think part of that process and what we're learning from the research is it's not going to necessarily look exactly like we would find in the research that already exists. This is this is new research that we're providing where at scale and in different contexts, schools will work in different environments, have different pupils and may need to make different decisions about how they implement it. And I think that part of that adaptation has been part of the journey that schools have been on in in the, the year that we've done the research, you know, so, you know, some are coming on on board with it a little bit later than others. A lot of this has been trial by error, get, getting used to a new process and seeing where it lands. And, and that's the continuing journey, essentially, is kind of it's making some decisions, reflecting on those and then going through a process of transformation to say there's some more that we can do here. There's other things that may be more beneficial. So I think being adaptable, flexible in that, reflecting on your decisions within the tutoring space are, are actually really quite powerful and useful to, to, to think about. Definitely. I was going to ask Michael and Laura one more question about um, the process and things. How did it go with parents? Because I suppose I can see it going in two directions, potentially, that there might be some parents who are disappointed that they feel like their child has been identified as needing extra support and they're they're upset about that. And then, then there also might be parents who are upset because their child hasn't been identified as uh, getting, needing additional support and uh, perceives it as some children are getting more than their child. That's really interesting. And um, again, that's part of the part of our process, part of our um, journey where we've we're asking questions that we probably wouldn't have thought about before the before we ran the program. I would say we've taken great time to explain to the parents the constraints that we have and the time that we have and why we're doing it at this point in the academic year. We took time to explain why numbers in classes have to be small. We took time to tell them that we were using our own staff for good reasons, and therefore the number of hours that we have before school and after school, so that we don't upset the, the timetable as it is, is limited. We talked about the fact that staff last night, um, Friday afternoons, weren't very popular with staff and they wouldn't have been popular with students. That Tuesday afternoons we have uh, directed time and meetings in schools, so it comes down to five days before school and three days after school. And with those constraints, when we ran it last year, we tried at lunchtime as well, but it was too short, and students seemed to find it more of a punishment. They didn't like that. The attendance of those was, was was more troublesome. So 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 we we've led parents through our process. And so last night when we met, uh, we, I think in the first year, we would have had more parents asking us about, can I have my son or daughter also in French? Because yes, it's great that they're in English, it's great that they're in maths, but there's also red on the tracking for French. Can we also have that? Why not? Why have I only got history when I've got other subjects here that are also in red and therefore in need in my latest tracking? But last night we, we had far fewer of those requests. I mean, every request that we get, we do then go back to the heads of department and the classroom teachers to see, is there a way we can work out? And some staff have been great and said, well, look, there seems to be even more of a need and it's a highly motivated parent and student, then I'll, I will do another session. I will put it in and we can run some parallel groups. 
or we can work it out uh, in a different way. Um, but we haven't had anyone yet, Laura, maybe you can correct me, who has seen it as a punishment. It's the, the problem is capacity and parents and students wanting to get onto the the uh, the tutoring sessions that they that they haven't got onto, and again that I think is because of the way it's kind of sold here at, at Bishop Thomas Grant. Got sort of English and, and maths. But actually, we want science as well. I, I've had a few emails today sort of regarding can we get onto these sessions? It's got to be kept for it to be having the impact that's that's desirable. Is the group sizes have got to be kept? Let's say six maximum. And that, that it does refer to just some difficult conversations, but making it very clear to parents where, where the rationale is and, and why. I've sort of like created a little bit of a waiting list at the moment because I've had conversations today with parents in the sense of if there is a, a lack of engagement or a lack of attendance in, let's say, one of the English sessions that, that their child would be first to be offered that place. From a research perspective, what, what I've enjoyed very much about the project is how how schools have engaged with us on this particularly at the beginning autumn term 2021 covid was still fresh in the mind and you know there were still bubbles and and the like going on the schools to invite us in and are willing were willing to participate in the research you know has been has been lovely uh, both michael and and laura you know very grateful that you did allow us to come in and, and see what you were doing in, in the tutoring space, but that goes for every single head teacher, uh, their deputies, their staff, their pupils that have all contributed to this. We couldn't have done this piece of work without them, you know, and that goes for the, the second year of the work that we've been doing as well. You know, it's kind of hopefully we found some really interesting stuff out so that it can be helpful, but it can't be done without the, the commitment and the support of the, the schools, the leaders, the staff. The, the pupils that we've spoken to as part of the project. So incredibly grateful for that. Thank you. Michael or Laura, do you have any kind of like final pearls of wisdom for uh, any other school embarking on this? Can I, can I just share something that wasn't, wasn't immediately obvious to us when we set out? And it wasn't a surprise, but it's been a real benefit. Now we have 29 staff who are working within their subject areas. Some of them are HODs, heads of departments, some are postholders, some aren't. They're looking at what we're calling cornerstone knowledge and skills in their subject. And they're looking across the whole KCH4 with the summer school and with the, with the lower school, they're looking at KCH3. What are those cornerstone pieces of knowledge that if we get right, help students accelerate because they are important for so many elements of that subject. So to have 29 staff working and thinking in that way has really helped us develop confidence uh, in our curriculum. It's filtered through to so much of the CPD and inset that we have here at school. We have a curriculum review process uh, with staff in order to critique approaches, subject choices in terms of sequencing, in terms of prioritizing knowledge and skills. And staff have become so much more confident. So it's such a powerful, impactful process. I mean, through the summer term here to, to narrow down what you want to cover with the year 10 students. The possibilities are endless. And that's also really exciting for staff because that's before you become a teacher, I think there's an element of that, the, the essence of sitting down with people, 
small groups of people, it's an idealistic idea, and you're talking through your subject that you love, and you've had the opportunity here to craft a little curriculum for those individuals that's really special, and that's been really motivating for staff, and we've seen that, you know, our confidence of staff grow and grow because of that. So it's not separate from curriculum thinking. It's so integrated as part of it, and it's a huge benefit. And I think the legacy will be far beyond. We're going to be limited in the future. It's a, it's a, it's a big process. It's a lot for schools to take on, and we welcome that, and we're happy with that. But if we have the funding, we can do it. And without that funding, our model that we employ, Laura, we wouldn't be able to do it. So we've published part one of our research on um, the tutoring programme, which was published in October, and we're publishing the second part in the autumn of this year. Thank you very much to Ofsted's own Alan Passingham for giving up his time to talk about his research. And thank you ever so much to Laura Waterman and Michael Todd from Bishop Thomas Grant School in London. Ofsted Talks. Ofsted Talks. Ofsted Talks. Ofsted Talks.